this uh, great feast of the Blessed Trinity. Uh, it's a beautiful celebration of the, the deepest mystery of our faith. It really is the, um, the, key, the key mystery of our faith. For by uh, our Lord Jesus revealing to us the mystery of the, the Blessed Trinity, he has revealed to us the mystery of the inner life of, of God, the very being of God. You know, all mankind can discover the existence of God, one God, through the unaided you know, light of, of human reason. Every, every person on the earth has that capacity, uh, should they use it, and they have a duty to use it, to come to know with certainty that there is a God, and one God. It would be impossible for us to know that there are three persons in one God if this were not revealed to us by by our Lord Jesus who came among us. And as much as this is a celebration of the Holy Trinity, the scripture readings today, particularly the first reading and the, um, and the psalm, really should uh, lead us to celebrate mankind as well. That uh, our Lord had, you know, has that delight in being among the sons of men. That he, he is by becoming one of us, he has shown the true dignity to which we are called. It's worth making maybe a, just a quick summary of the doctrine of, our, of the Blessed Trinity, which is huge, so we won't do a full theological treatise on it this morning. Um, but just to, to be very clear on some things, you know, that the, the three persons of the Blessed Trinity are, re, are, are all equal. There is in that sense no hierarchy in, in the Blessed Trinity. Each is God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and these are not three gods, but one God. It's a great mystery. Each, And if each one is God, then one cannot be higher in majesty than the other. Each of the persons of the Blessed Trinity is equal in majesty. But one can speak of a kind of primacy, not a chronological Primacy, but what, what we, what we call, could call an ontological primacy, see, that is at the, at the level of being. Um, because in, in some senses there is a procession, this is how the church defines it, a procession of the persons from, from the Father. The Son proceeds from the Father by an eternal generation, an eternal begetting. So it's eternal from the very beginning. And this really what, what is what makes the Father a Father, that begetting. And, what's, and what makes the Son a Son and not the Father, the fact that he is begotten. The Son calls God Father. Our Lord Jesus would speak about the Father as my Father. And my Father and I are one. I was sent to my Father. So the Son is very much related to the Father as a Son. And he is not made or created, but we say he is begotten. Uh, no creation uh, of the Son. You know, the heresy of Arianism is that there was a time when the Son was, came into being. First of all, you had the Father, and then you had the Son. Well, if the Son came into being later, it must be, must be that he's created and not equal to the Father. And therefore, he could not be God. The Son is, is God, just like the Father, but distinct in, in the manner of his being in the Trinity. Our Lord Jesus is Son of the Father by nature. 
we too are able to claim the, the, the dignity of sons, of children of God, but not by nature, but rather by, by adoption. Another way to consider the Son is that he is the Word. Remember, St. John begins his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is the, that is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. St. John uses a word, Greek word called logos, uh, which conveys the idea of, of word, of thought. And in, in a sense, the Son can be considered the very thought of the Father. So he proceeds from the, proceeds from the Father as his thought. And when the Father looks upon his Son, he sees the very image of himself. He sees the expression of who he is, of his thought. The Son is wisdom. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is certainly a gift of the Holy Spirit. But the book of Proverbs that we read this morning speaks about wisdom. Uh, and it's really speaking about the Son. Being there when the whole of creation was being posited and as it ends, ends up that delighting to be with the sons of men even before they were created they were already in the mind of God and the son was delighting because he would one day take, up, take upon himself um, his, their, their nature, uh, human nature so the, the son is the image of the father to see the, father is, to see the son is to see the father as our Lord told um, the apostle Philip when Philip uh, said, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And our Lord said to Philip, I have been with you all this time. Is that not enough? To, to, to have seen me is to have seen the Father. And what about the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Neither is he begotten, but he proceeds. So he's not Son, because if he were begotten, he would be Son. But he proceeds like that breath of love between the Father and the Son as the Church understands it, and as I mentioned last week, how St. Francis de Sales gave that beautiful image of these two lovers, the Father and the Son, breathing, breathing one breath of the Holy Spirit and uh, breathing it into us as well. And because that breath is divine, but it is distinct from the Father and the Son, being divine it must be God, being distinct from the Father and the Son it must be another divine person. And that is the spirit of, the tr of truth who guides us to all truth. He speaks of nothing on his own because all that is in the Trinity is, is in common. As our Lord says in the Gospel today, the Holy Spirit will give you what is mine and what is mine belongs to the Father. There is this beautiful unity in the Holy Spirit, what, in the Holy Trinity. What is of one is, is of all three. Even though they are, they are distinct in their, in their personhood, but what belongs to one belongs to, to all three. We have this great gift, as St. Paul tells us in the letter to the Romans today, that by the outpouring of the Spirit, the love of God has been poured into our hearts. And so we have that, that love of God is the Holy Spirit, of course, and when the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, the whole Blessed Trinity is there, Father and Son as well. And so we should be, remember our great dignity, even physically, um, I remember my mother teaching me from a very early age you know, to treat my body with respect because it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is a temple of God, a temple of the Blessed Trinity. And that should really um, inform you know, every aspect of how we, how we take care of ourselves, um, whether it's to do with taking care of our physical and psychological health, taking care of our spiritual health, avoiding sin, because that we are meant to be temples of God. 
Also, St. Paul tells us that love that has been poured into our hearts enables us to endure, nay, to boast of our afflictions, which he says produce endurance, character, hope, etc. They're character building, if you like, these, uh, these um, afflictions that we experience. Yesterday on the um, our Ignatian morning of recollection that we held, we held uh, there was a very interesting question that came up regarding indifference. Um, in that uh, St. Ignatius of, uh, uh, of Loyola says that we should grow to acquire an indifference to the created world. And it was kind of thought, well, this is a bit, uh, at first, a bit strange because this created world is beautiful. It comes from the, the hands of God and we should, we should delight in it. Uh, and indeed, our human nature and all creation of a people uh, and even um, animate uh, non-rational beings like animals as well, we can delight in those as well. But in, indifference enables us to endure those things that, that happen to us which may, be, which may be considered afflictions, in that while they are afflictions, they are things that in the end do not disturb us because we're headed to heaven. The important thing is that we, we are possessed by God. And so, you know, we, we do not set our hearts inordinately on the things of the world, but our hearts are set entirely on God. And because God loves us and we love him, and this love of God dwells in our hearts, has been poured into our hearts. I'm reading at the moment a, a book about Our Lady called The Read of God by Carol Hauslander, who's an English mystic from the early 20th century. She writes this beautiful thing about the love of God uh, as imaged in the love of a parent uh, for the, um, his or her child. She speaks in terms of a father looking upon his son to, I suppose, to better image more, you know, more directly, to bring to our mind more directly the image of God the Father and the Son. She writes as follows, uh, and maybe she experienced this herself in her own life in some way. God is everlasting, certain, unchanging. What is certain about him is that he is love that he loves you, both you and the person that you love more than you do. Your child is first of all God's child. Think of the little babies in church today. Just think about those babies and new parents. Look upon that child uh, and realize that your child is first of all God's child. So think about what you are holding. Your love for your little son is nothing absolutely nothing at all besides God's love for him. Your little son is God's son. He is his only son, for Christ is in him, and God looks upon him and sees him as Christ, the one only object of his eternal love. He is the dearest of all creatures. He is the apple of God's eye. When you watch him strutting around, showing off, troubling you, and when you look at him in his sweetest moments and are moved to tenderness, when you see him excelling in games and lessons and, and are proud of him, you are not alone, far from it. God is watching him with the intent absorbed love of a father for his only son. When he is sick and you stand by the bedside shaken with fear, when he sleeps and you lean over him held by the amazement of seeing this little boy who has your life, God is there too. Indeed all this love of yours is only God's love which you sense vaguely. He, the true father, is there. He is around and above and below the child. He is in his heart. You only love at all because God loves infinitely more. Think of what our love 
for one another, for the little ones, but also for one another. If that same love of God is poured into each one of our hearts, then that love should be visible uh, in, in the love that we have for one another, in the unity that exists uh, between us as well. Some of you have asked how, how our trip to Denver went, and I have to say it went very well, and thanks for asking, and thanks for keeping it in your prayers. Uh, I just thought I'd share one thing of, of the many things that came from that, because it, it kind of is a, is a trinity as well. The relationship that should exist between members of a parish leadership team, but how that should also exist between all of us, I think, uh, who are engaged in the mission of the parish, which I hope is every single person here. Uh, if this works. Um, come on. Yeah. So this is just uh, one of the, image, one of the um, you know, slides that was put up. These are the three things that make for good working together uh, in, a, in a church context. Unceasing prayer is the, is, the, is the basis of it, the foundation, from which comes active discipleship together with healthy teamwork. Archbishop Sample, who was one of the, who was really the main leader uh, at this amazing parish summit, where there were hundreds of people, priests and lay people, he, he seems to be the leading bishop behind it. Um, he used the phrase, very evocative phrase, in one of his homilies, that everything we do should be soaked in prayer, soaked in prayer. You know, think of your food that you like marinating and uh, and all that. Everything we do should be soaked in prayer, which means it's matured and, uh, and it comes from prayer. That really has to be our starting point. It's something that we all learnt in, as the, at the conference and the members of the parish leadership team learnt and immediately put, in, put into practice. I have to say I was very embarrassed at the airport here in Eugene when someone said we're going to have a group hug now. I thought, oh no. So we gathered in prayer. We gathered around and the, the, the five of us in the airport as we were about to leave one another and we, had, we prayed. We prayed for one another, we prayed for you, we prayed for the fruits of it. But that's, that's, that's how it is, prayer in that practical way, but also that deep personal prayer that each one of us takes time uh, to pray. And I've been delighted to see not just members of the parish leadership team, but also others spending time here in the church, praying before the Blessed Sacrament, particularly when there's something that has to be considered and something that has to be maybe said or done, or not said or not done, depending on what comes from the prayer. So soaked in prayer. Active discipleship, really for each one of us to be active disciples. Spreading the word of God depends on you and it depends on me. And it was pointed out to us that this needn't be very difficult. It can be as simple as when we encounter someone saying, Would you like me to pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for you today? Now I'm a bit of an easy target because I wear a white collar around my neck and go around wearing black as well. So going in Denver airport as we went from the train, uh, from the security to the, to the gate, of course, I was stopped by a young woman who said, excuse me, are you a priest? <laughs> yes. Well, could you pray for me? She was on a journey, I don't know, halfway across the States, coming where she was going. Because a dog of a family member had liver failure or something. And she asked me, could you pray through to St. Francis to save, save our little dog? So, all right. So there I did, there and then. Prayed with her uh, for her safe journey, for the will of God, you know, for healing. And gave her a blessing. And on I went. 
And then when I went to the gate and sat down there, a lady came and sat next to me and I engaged her in conversation. Oh, do you live in Eugene? Are you going to Eugene? She said, well, no, I don't live in Eugene, but I'm going to Eugene to, uh, to meet up with... Uh, um, she's a bit older in life, but younger than me, but uh, meet up meet with an old high school companion, uh, see if we can, you know, uh, see if something happens, as it were, you know, romance. I said, oh, that's very interesting. Would you like me to pray for you? She said, oh, that'd be very nice. So I prayed with her, prayed that um, her heart would not rule her head, and she interrupted me and said, that's exactly what my therapist said. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, you know, so we finished the prayer. I said, do you know anything about religion? No, not really. I had a litany of trust that the Sisters of Life there in Denver had given me, and I explained it to her, would you like this? Oh, yes, I explained the Divine Mercy image and, and gave it to her. You know. Obviously, one could say it's easy, but it's not. It takes a little bit of courage for me to, to begin conversations as well. And I tried one on the plane with the person next to me. It didn't go anywhere. But, you know, anyway, you, know, you try. I saw an article in CNN yesterday, a um, very beautiful uh, article, uh, about a police officer who, um, you know, put his blue lights on uh, to stop a car in front that was speeding. The driver and the passengers in the car in front were black, he was white. So it could have been a very tense situation. Anyway, he, he went to the car and, uh, and introduced himself and said, could I, could I see your papers? And uh, what, what speed do you think you were doing? And the driver admitted, yes, he was speeding. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, and explained that they were rushing to, uh, to, to the hospital because her dad or someone had cancer. Okay, so he went back to, the, to his, his patrol car. Uh, and they were all wondering why he was taking so long. Wow, is there something wrong? Is he checking us more detailed, in a more detailed way or whatever? Uh, but meanwhile, what was happening was that he was sitting in his car. And he was a cancer sufferer or survivor as well himself. He said, I know what it's like. I'm not giving these people a ticket. You know, so what am I going to do? So eventually he went to the, went to the car and he said, and he asked the, uh, the man in the back of the car what kind of cancer he has. And he told him, and it was the same kind of cancer that the police officer uh, had or has. And um, so he said, can I pray with you? And so there's this beautiful moment of prayer where the police officer prays over and with the people in the car, invoking God our Heavenly Father and the name of Jesus Christ. And these people in the car were more than happy because they were very religious. One of them was a, a, a deacon in their Protestant community or whatever it was, so more than happy with it. And in the, in the event the man died later on and they managed to, uh, I think, reconnect with a police officer. But you see just that little moment, uh, taking the opportunity, and all the police officer did was give them a warning. You know. So let's uh, ourselves, each one of us, try to be unceasing prayers, to be active disciples. And then the last thing, healthy teamwork. Because if it's the love of God, right? Think, imagine God in the middle there, the love of God. Then whatever we say and do with one another comes from love. 
and if we can trust one another that we are speaking to one another from love it helps us to listen to one another and be more more united let's pray that this may be a gift uh, that the lord gives each single person here and gives our parish for because because by the outpouring of the holy spirit the love of god has been poured into my heart into your hearts and into the heart of this parish.